So Pastor Heibel's just, um, <clears throat> just said, just made reference to, and we've seen now uh, a couple of different times in our service this morning, um, Matthew chapter 25. Uh, serving the least of these. And so if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to go to that particular text uh, this morning. Uh, Matthew chapter 25 will be our text. And what I'd like to do is just read the, the, the passage that has been referenced, uh, verses 31 through 46, uh, and, and really just ask one particular question. And the question is, a, is a, I think, an important one. Who are the least of these? Who are the least of these? Matthew chapter 25, uh, verse 31. If you don't have a Bible, you can uh, follow along. There's a pew Bible in, in front of you, and you can find that reading on page 807 of that Bible, or you can go to our Grove Church app and hit the Bible tab and find Matthew 25. Let me just read this passage together. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And when the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whoever did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly, I will tell you, whatever you did not do for the least of these you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. And so the question that I want us to wrestle with this morning on this particular day is who is the least of these? Who is Jesus referring to when he says the least of these? You say, well, why would we ask that particular question? I think it's a particularly pertinent question because it seems to have eternal implications to it. Our interaction and dealing with the least of these seems, according to what Jesus says here, to have eternal implications. Look at verse 46. Then they will go to the eternal punishment, and the, but the righteous to eternal life. 
So how we interact with, how we deal with this, how we answer this particular question seems particularly important because there are eternal implications. If you spent any time studying this particular passage, and, and the reason we do this is because I want you to be thoughtful in the way in which you engage the scriptures. I want you to be, I want you to be, how we approach these things has, is, is significant and important for us. And so that's why I want to go through the exercise over these next few moments together. If you've done any thinking on this, if you've done any uh, biblical study, there are two primary, two primary options for who the least of these refers to, who Jesus is actually talking about. The first option is the least of these is referring to the general poor and needy. The imagery is pretty straightforward. It's memorable and it's powerful, isn't it? When we say... <clears throat> Those who are the marginalized in society, who else would they be except for the hungry and the thirsty, the homeless, the naked, the sick, and the imprisoned? The option, and this has some scholarly support to it as this being the first option, and it certainly is consistent with other biblical passages calling us to be people of justice, like we studied last week in, in our study of, of Proverbs or Deuteronomy 15, or Mother Teresa in her work in Calcutta who was quoted as saying, each of them is Jesus in disguise, meaning each of the children that she cared for. And it's easy to see why this particular passage is championed by justice-minded Christians. Linking our eternal destiny to caring for the powerless and it puts the strongest possible motivation behind the call to care for the poor and for the needy and the marginalized in our society. So one option would be that the least of these is referring to the general poor and needy and marginalized of society. There are a couple of challenges that we face with this particular view. The first is this that this view doesn't adequately account for the meaning of brothers and sisters of mine. Because look at Jesus, what Jesus actually says. He says in verse 40, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers or sisters of mine, you did for me. So this view is particularly troubling because it, while all, what it's saying is the view would seem to say that everyone in humanity is a brother or sister of Christ. While all of humanity is important to him, and all of humanity is made in the image of God, and while all of humanity is worthy of dignity and respect, not all of humanity are indeed brothers or sisters of Christ. Because one can only be a brother and sister of Christ when they've actually trusted in Christ, when they've actually humbled themselves and submitted themselves to the gospel. A second reason why this is particularly troubling is because caring for the hungry, the thirsty, the homeless, the naked, the sick, and the imprisoned isn't taught anywhere else in the New Testament as a measuring stick for salvation. Can we really affirm that what ultimately matters is caring for the poor, not faith in Christ? This reading veers towards a mere social gospel where what ultimately matters are actions, not beliefs. And as a result, it has a tendency to minimize evangelism 
and maximize feeding people as a priority over following Christ. So the first option is that the least of these is the, is the general poor, although there are, I think, some challenges with that particular option. The second option is that it, the least of these actually means followers of Christ. So a common biblical practice, and many of you know this, or of biblical interpretation, when we have a particular question like this, a question of saying, what, did this, what is actually referred to here? The practice is then to go to the immediate context of that particular passage or to the context of the greater book or even to the greater New Testament and even to the, to the greater Bible in order to help shed light on that particular question. And so the question then is, who else in Matthew's gospel went hungry, thirsty, homeless, naked, sick, or imprisoned? Was there anyone else in Matthew's gospel where we see this on display? And the answer is yes. In Matthew chapter 10, if we, and I would encourage you to go there and read through this, not today, or not this moment, but maybe sometime this afternoon in your afternoon leisure because I think you'll be benefited, because what I want to do is to be able to help you see the parallels between, in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus is, it's the passage where Jesus is actually sending his disciples out to go do ministry. And so what you find there is when he's sending them out, he sent out his disciples in chapter 10 of Matthew with no money and no bag for food or no drink. A, a comparison, that's in verses 9 and 10 of chapter 10, compared to the hungry and thirsty in chapter 25. They had no extra clothing. They weren't allowed to take any extra clothing compared to the naked in, 20, in, in chapter 25. Back in chapter 10, they had no room to stay, and so they were going, and they were, they were, they were strangers going into a town, and here in chapter 25, they are strangers. Jesus said that they, would, that they would often be arrested in verses 17 through 20 of chapter 10. And in 25, he refers to the prisoners. Even the order, if you would take time to actually study and go through the order of these, even the order of these circumstances is a near match. So what you have here is Jesus is, Jesus is talking about his disciples. He's sending out his disciples who are to go out and trust God and go out and, and, and as they go out and teach and, and evangelize, they are going out without extra clothing, without money, without a bag for food, without a home to stay in, and they're going out. And so we have the same here in 25. And there also is this reoccurring idea, both in chapter 10 as well as in chapter 25, that the response to Jesus' representatives is a response to Jesus himself. In chapter 10, verse 40 says, whoever receives you receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. And the, the, this, there's this reward language that's also in chapter 10 that is very similar. Chapter 10, verse 42. If anyone gives even a cup of cold water to the one of these little ones, because he is my disciple, I tell you the truth, he will certainly not lose his rewards. Now, I believe that the parallels between these two passages is not an accident, but is actually important and makes a strong case that the group that Jesus has in mind here in Matthew 25 is the same group that he had in mind in Matthew 10, which means that the least of these are the disciples who are going out to teach the, the gospel. Now, 
the least of these, that the least of these are the disciples, may perhaps not be the most obvious choice in a casual reading. But New Testament scholar Craig Keener says this, it is the majority view in church history and among contemporary New Testament scholars. That this idea that of, of, uh, of the disciples being the ones that are actually the least of these that are referred to in Matthew chapter 25 has been the consistent historical view of this particular passage by New Testament scholars. There's a, there's a writer, Andy Horvath, he's a pastor, and he wrote in Christianity Today, he wrote an article set, titled, What You Probably Didn't Know About the Least of These. And here's what he writes. However, if the least of these are Jesus' messengers, then one's salvation is dependent upon his or her response to the proclamation of the gospel, which accords with Paul's teaching. The New Testament scholar R.T. France thus explains, the criterion for justice, or for the criterion for judgment becomes not mere philanthropy, but people's response to the kingdom of heaven as it is presented to them in the person of Jesus, Jesus' brothers. It is therefore ultimately a question of the relationship to Jesus himself. Therefore, we don't have to be terrified that our salvation is at risk if we pass by a poor person on the street. Because that's what you get into. If you, if you say, my eternal, my eternal destiny is dependent upon what I do and how my actions for the least of these, then at what point have you done enough for the least of these to ensure that your salvation is secure? There is no measuring stick for that. Therefore, it can't mean that. You say, well, okay. Does, there, does the fact that Jesus here is referring to the least of these, meaning he's referring to those who are going out to preach the gospel, does that therefore lessen our call or our burden for justice or for help? And the answer is no. While the scriptures doesn't identify the least of these as the poor and needy, generally the poor and needy, it in no way diminishes the biblical mandate to care for the marginalized and the underprivileged because our actions actually matter. We spent the whole balance of our time last time studying that. If you missed, if you missed our study last week, I encourage you to go to our app or go to the website and, 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 and think about these things seriously. The biblical teaching about justice is comprehensive and does not rest on any one single passage. But here's the thing, both in Matthew chapter 10 and in Matthew chapter 25, it depicts people providing for the physical needs of the disciples as a part of their response to following Christ. When the, when the disciples went and they preached the gospel, what you'll find if you in a careful reading of chapter 10 is that the response of the gospel was hospitality and caring for the needs of those who brought the message of, of, of the gospel to them. Matthew chapter 10, the disciples hit the road with no provisions, relying on first century expectations and hospitality toward the travelers. And the response to the proclamation of the gospel was concurrent with the embodied concurrent with and embodied, providing for the physical needs of the messengers. Their willingness to receive the message and to provide for the disciples was the equivalent of the response to Jesus himself. 
there is a coming together of both faith and, and, and relieving suffering. They appear side by side as a response to the gospel. I, 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 if you remember last week, if you were with us, then I shared with you a quote from Pastor Tim Keller. It says this, a deep social conscience and a life poured out in service to others, especially the poor, is the inevitable sign of real faith. And justice is the grand symptom of a real relationship with God. And if you know him, it will be there. It may come slowly, but it will come. And if it doesn't, then you don't have the relationship you think you have. Do you understand that this is at the heart of biblical faith? Do you see the importance of justice? See, here's the shocking thing in this passage. Jesus is on the throne. There are people on his right, and there are people on his left. You know the staggering thing? Both groups were shocked by one thing, that Jesus was with the marginalized, that God himself was with the marginalized. They were shocked. When did we see you, God? When did we see you in all these predicaments? That God, at the very heart of God, is with those who are the least and the lonely and the lost and the left out of society. And our connection and our relationship with God, if, if our heart does not begin to break, if our heart, if our eyes are not begins, beginning to open, at least in some measure, then we need to actually go and reevaluate where we are at connecting with the heart of God that we say that we serve. I find this really challenging. And that's why I start our time with saying that there I was at the Global Leadership Summit and there I was blissfully unaware. And I say, well, what, what am I to do? What are we to do in the well-heeled suburbs of the Twin Cities? I don't have all the answers, but I wanna call us to try ask our eyes to be open. I was reading a, a Christian writer and blogger and stuff. And, and I wish when I, I want to close the time by just sharing with you her thoughts on some of these things. She's responding to one of her readers who wrote her a, a question about the least of these and about what the social justice and the implications of that for the Christian. And this is what she writes. After years of living with low-grade guilt for not witnessing enough, and not leading others to Christ, and not wanting to be a missionary in, sub, some, in some sub-Saharan country, a new movement of social justice felt like a great kind of exhale. Instead of trying to wheedle a prayer of salvation out of people, I, the people I met, I could simply serve them and love them. It was generous, beautiful. For a while, I hummed with the excitement of this new theology, but it wasn't long before the burst of insight and energy fizzled into a new kind of religious guilt. After all, we had just moved to the suburbs. We did not rub shoulders regularly with the disenfranchised. Our neighbors had their own baggage and brokenness to be sure, but they had clothes to wear and cars to drive and food to eat. And for the most part, they looked a lot like us. 
That year, I read dozens of stories about people who had moved into urban neighborhoods to start after-school programs for disadvantaged youth. I'd read profiles of those fighting for justice, changing corrupt systems, planting community gardens, hosting neighborhood dinners and backyards, and I felt shame over my suburban home with its big green lawn and multiple bathrooms. It felt exactly like the shame I had once felt for not wanting to be a missionary in Africa. It looked different to me now, but I was still desperately trying to change the world. I wonder if, you've, if that resonates with you at all, like it did with me. She continues, I believe in my heart that faith lives in the gray areas and the tensions of the both and, but when it comes to the tension between doing and not doing, I conti I'm continually perplexed. I struggle to follow Jesus who poured himself out for the poor and the powerless and who also at the same time invites me into a life of total grace, of not having to work my way toward holiness. When I see a need unmet, I can go from zero to paralyzing guilt in about two seconds flat, regardless of whether I have the resources to fill that need or not. I have never been very good at boundary setting, about letting my heart be moved towards compassion while also letting my worth stay unmoved and planted in the deep grace of God. Then she talks about reading the passage that we've been discussing this morning. When I read, when I read this passage now with an eye towards the grace of God, I see it not so much as a grocery list of tangible ways in which we might engage those who are in the margins, though that certainly is part of it. Instead, I find myself wondering at the ways we, that we miss God. We expect him to show up looking one way, and he comes as something entirely different. Like Elijah, who looked for God in the earthquake, but found him instead in the whisper. Like the shepherds who expected the Messiah to come in a palace, but found him instead in the stable. God seems to be constantly thwarting our expectations, reminding us again and again that there is, so, there is so much more to him than we know. So yes, this passage is about serving others. To know God's love is to bestow it on the least of these, and part of, the, part of that is helping to ensure that people's basic needs are met. But it would be a mistake to assume that the suburban housewife pouring white wine all over her pain is not also thirsty. It would be a mistake to assume that hunger is always about food. We would all together be missing the point to assume that the least of these, uh, least of these all live in some urban area or in a third world country. When we do, we begin to forget that we all, in some way or another, are the least of these. We are all needy and poor in our own small and big ways. After all, there are hundreds of thousands of prisons and only some of them have bars. There are millions of moments in which we find ourselves the stranger even though we know everyone in the room. I wonder if what Jesus meant by saying, his, by saying to his followers that day is not so much about doing more. I wonder if instead he was saying something like this. Seeing God is intrinsically connected to seeing others. We engage with the hungry, whether the hunger is about food or something else entirely, not because they need us, but because in so doing, we encounter the stunning new aspect of God, one more glimmer of his mosaic beauty, and I think that's where we start. 
The antidote to our serving paralysis is not to find the ministry that fits us best. It's not doing more and more until our guilt is quenched with exhaustion. It's, it might not even be serving in the way in which we've come to understand and define it. Instead, we begin by keeping our eyes wide open. You are here, wherever here is for you, and so is God. Wherever you find yourself, start there. Go ahead, go about your day with your eyes open as wide as you know how to make them. Remember that we were never meant to scrub or ladle or teach or donate our way towards holiness. Instead, we are invited into the pain and the needs of others. The least of these are all around you, shining with the beauty of God, waiting for someone to see them. We've been praying this morning that God would open our eyes to the least of these. Maybe, maybe for you, God has moved in your heart towards the refugee. Maybe God is opening your eyes to someone who's right next to you, maybe even in your own house. I don't know, but my prayer was not. My prayer was that God would open our eyes and call us towards justice and mercy because that's who he is. That's at his heart. So let me just give you a couple of instructions on how you can tangibly help. If God is moving you this morning towards the refugees uh, around the world and in our, in our midst, two things, two thoughts. One is that you can give. In the bulletin insert, what you'll find in the bulletin uh, there is, is the website where you can go and you can give to World Vision and you can support the mission globally around the world. Another way is there's another bit of information, and that's through Arrive Ministries, which is uh, an arm of Transform Minnesota. And that's in Arrive Ministries, what they do is they actually help settle refugees that come around the Twin Cities. And they're in need of donations. They're in need of people to come and sort through donations. If you say, well, I don't know if I want to give my money, but I might give my time, then this would be a place where you might be able to go and you might be able to serve. This is a significant humanitarian crisis, and we can't close our eyes to it. And yet, the least of these are all around us. May God keep our eyes wide open. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your call to serve the least of these. Because that's what Jesus did. And we, all of us, were at one point the least of these, and you came and became poor in order that we might know the riches of heaven. And now you call us to be your church. Will you help lead us and guide us as we seek to depend upon you and discern your voice for our lives? In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.